Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 48 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. We're at our one day a week schedule right now. We'll go to two days for a couple of uh, periods, especially around the draft, around free agency and important dates. And you never know, we could have a pop up episode if we get big news uh, regarding a coach or trades or acquisitions, whatever it might be. So uh, look out for that as well. But um, Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period is going to join us in just a moment. But let me tell you about Bet Parks because the all new Bet Parks app is live. It is fantastic. How about last night? 5 4. That was the exact score I picked at plus 7,000 for the St. Louis Blues over the Colorado Avalanche. The only problem was I had 5 4 in regulation, not overtime. Shit, but those are the perils. Uh, but still, won my parlay. But anyway, uh, the new Bet Parks app is fantastic. You got to check it out. It is now live. Take it from me. It's everything you've wanted in a mobile casino and a sports book, and it's right in the palm of your hand. It's on the road with you. So if you want to get your action in, very simple to do. It's easy to sign up, easy to use, fun to use, and faster to win than ever before. And you can still take advantage of the promo code Jason750, Jason750. That's going to get you a risk-free bet for new and existing users up to $750. Again, Jason750, J-A-S-O-N, 750, risk-free bet up to $750. Terms and conditions do apply. So make sure right now or after the show, make sure you download the Bet Parks app today because the action has been awesome. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's get right to the business. We've got a lot to talk about. We'll have Tone's takes as well today, but let's get to them right now. From the fourthperiod.com, tfp.com, uh, Brotherly Pod as well. North of the border, it is Anthony DeMarco joining Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. What's up, Ant? Doing well, my man. Uh, congrats on your almost win last night. Hell of a How comeback by St. Louis. Hell of a comeback by St. Louis. I gotta say, that's a resilient team. You know, yeah. I, I was not high on them at all. Embarrassingly enough, I actually picked Minnesota to sweep them. Mm-hmm. So that was not a good look, but uh, it just goes to show you, you know, like balanced scoring. And I, I was watching them the other night, not last night, but the, the game four. And I, and I told myself, like, they remind me a lot of how the Flyers in 2010 were built. Very, very similar. Yeah, balanced. No, like, bonafide superstar, mm-hmm. right? No, no guy that's just going to absolutely dominate the game. But just they come at you in waves, well-coached. And I know Craig Berube's caught a lot of shit this week because he didn't have comments on the Nazem Kadri situation. And I think what people have to realize, like Chief's not oblivious to that, to, you know, racial, you know, people going race and being racist comments on social media. But what I will tell you is this, and I think we saw this last year too, Ant, is that when a head coach is in the Stanley Cup playoffs, he's not really paying attention to everything else in the outside world. Like AV ran into that situation, right? Yeah. yeah. And caught some criticism. Yeah, it, it, it's tough, right? Because you try and plead the fifth and say no comment, and that's a way to just kind of keep your focus on hockey. But sometimes you run into situations like with Nazem Kadri, where like something took place and there's no need to get into it. I'm sure everyone knows by now. But like it's something so serious that kind of supersedes hockey. Mm-hmm. And then someone will take a, a no comment as like this massive, like, oh, insensitivity. Exactly. He doesn't give a shit. And, you know, as chief reference, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? Like, he's a Native American. He's dealt with it. Yep. So I've talked I, to him about it before. And how did it go with him? Yeah, I mean, he, he said, like, growing up and stuff. And look, there's a lot of Native Americans in Canada. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. And, and where he's from in Manitoba. And but he dealt with it coming up, you know, guys calling him you know, using racist comments against them. I think this is just a situation of a coach that is not insensitive to it, but is just hyper-focused on trying to beat the Colorado Avalanche. And they're not seeking out storylines outside of what I can do to help my team win on the 200 by 85. 
Yeah, and that's it. And look, like obviously what happened with Nazem Kadri, it's inexcusable. Like, totally. you, like you would think that at this point in time, especially what happened in 2020 during the bubble, uh, when the entire NHL went on like strike for what was it like a day or two in solitude as to what was going on in the United States at the time. Yeah, but almost it's two years to the day, by the way, because it was after George Floyd's murder. Yeah, there you go. So it's it's absolutely crazy that we still have to see things like this. But in regards to Chief, it's um, yeah, maybe not feel bad for him. Maybe I wouldn't go that far. But it's tough when you try and just make a comment to not really touch on it because, you know, you're not trying to say the wrong thing. And you're also trying to focus on your own uh, job at hand, which is winning playoff games. But I was happy that he was able to clarify it. And I think that the the dogs have backed up, uh, backed off rather, at least for the time being with him. Yeah, I, I think part of it too is you never want. I never want to comment on something that I'm not fully downloaded on what I'm t- commenting on. You know what I mean? Like, if, I don't want to say yeah, blah blah blah, and I don't really know the whole situation. If I'm going to comment on it publicly, especially for like an NHL coach. I, I want to know full blown what I'm commenting on. And I just don't know that he did. And he's a good man. And, and it, look, I know it came off insensitive, but you know, the fact that the people that sent those messages to Kadri are getting blown up on social media and, you know, their employers are being contacted fucking good. You know, it's time. It's time. People have repercussions for the shit they say. On social media, which brings me to my next thing. With this is not nearly as salacious or serious as what we just talked about, but the people that are just reveling in the fact that Claude Giroux got knocked out in the second round, like what? Like he's not here anymore. Like, did I want him to win? Sure, but am I super disappointed that he got knocked out in the second round by the best team since the early nineteen? 80s Oilers? No. But these people want to revel and just shit on them. Oh, what did you do in the second round? Well, they scored three goals in four games. So it's not just on Giroux. Where was Jonathan Huberdo? Where was Barkoff? Where was Ekblatt? Where was Tro... You know, we're... Trocek's not there anymore. Uh, Trocek's in Carolina. <laughs> Where were all these offensive weapons, Verhage, in that series? Bad. They had one problem, man. They got this guy in Tampa that until proven otherwise, you are not beating them in a series. He has six shutouts in his last seven elimination games. And dare I say, and and I'm a goalie honk, dare I say he is already tipping into the territory and into the conversation of the best goaltender and most clutch goaltender to ever put on pads and that's Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. You know, I, I had this debate seven. <laughs> yeah. I, I had this debate a couple, maybe a month, a couple months ago, right before the playoffs started about who would you want in a game seven when all the chips are down as a goaltender, not like who's been best, the bat, the who's been the best the past year, who's been the best the past five years, the last 10 years, just today, who would you take? And most people still say Carey Price. And I shared that opinion up until the cup final last year mm-hmm. where Vasilevsky looked Price right in the eye and outdueled him. And Andre Vasilevsky, to me, is the best goaltender we've seen since Dominic Koshik, who was before my time. He's better than the heyday of Ryan Miller. He's better than the heyday of Martin Brodeur. He's, better than the, he's better than the heyday of who would be the next goalie who took the baton. Tuka Rask, better than Sergei Bobrovsky. Jonathan Quick, he is so good when the chips are down, something that we've never really seen before. Because there was a stretch there where teams were winning the cup with goaltenders who weren't superstars. Yeah. Like Jordan Miami, Crawford, <laughs> right? Yeah, Bennington. Uh, mm-hmm. He was good. He had a really good stretch there, but I didn't think he was great, but like sensational by any Holby. means. Holpe, Brain Holpe. Like, obviously, the last guy I think that we saw win a Stanley Cup who was really the catalyst as a goaltender was quick. Tim Thomas before him was absolutely sensational. Maybe to an extent, Matt Murray. 
because he was just on such a heater and he was great in, in those closeout games as well. But he's not an elite pedigree goaltender in that level. Yeah, and even Matt Murray, like I remember the series against the San Jose Sharks in 2016, where I think Pittsburgh ended up winning it in six games. Mm -hmm. And I watched every single game of that series. Not I remember watching it very like closely because my one of my best friends at the time was a huge Penguins fan. But I remember saying to myself, like, this would have been a sweep if the goaltenders were reversed because Martin Jones was absolutely incredible that year yeah. and Murray kind of struggled. Like I remember he let in like a really bad goal in overtime. I think it was from Don Scoy, like right inside the blue line. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing with Vasilevsky in consecutive years now, like we're approaching a third consecutive um, cop, maybe that's pre pre um, premature to say, but you're absolutely right. He's been absolutely sensational. And I think, it's very fair, especially if they win the cup again this year and he continues at this level. It's very fair to put him in like the top five goaltenders of all time just already. Here, and here's the deal. And here's how many goals he has allowed in the last 10 series clinching wins for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And these are in order. Four, two, one, zero, zero, zero. Zero, zero, one, zero. Are you, I mean, six out of seven games, he didn't let in a goal. And the one that he did, he let in a goal. I mean, when the lights are the brightest, when the most is on the line and the fourth win in any series is the hardest to get, this guy goes out and goes, there's one way to ensure we do not lose. Because if the other team never scores, there's no way we can lose. <laughs> that is as simple as it gets. And I am just, I, I'm mind fucked by how good he's been. Like, because the, I mean, the position is so hard. These shooters are so good. Florida was the highest scoring team in the league by a mile in a year where scoring was up. And he gave up three goals in four games. I just I, 49 saves in the elimination game. Yeah, it, it's absolutely oh, it's, insane. It, it's insane. And I don't want to put it all on Andre Vasilevsky. Like he's the only reason yeah, I like team, a lot. Yeah. And it, it's also because like when I watched the Panthers against the Capitals, like I picked the Panthers to win in seven games. They end up winning in six. But if Washington even had maybe you in net. I think they could have won because okay, carried away. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, you know, like I thought that they lost that series because their goaltenders couldn't stop a beach ball. They had such a hard time just getting a save. And like, if you had even like an above average goalie X in the net, like like a Robin Laner, let's say, or Jack Campbell. Like, I think they could have won. Like, I thought uh, Washington did a good job of slowing new, uh, Florida down to the neutral zone. And they had a tough time coming out of that series. They won in six games in the end. But I think Florida got exposed by the Capitals. And then they play an elite-level team with an elite-level goaltender, an elite-level defense, and they just couldn't get it done. And, I, you know, I never picked Florida to go deep in the playoffs. Like, I predicted them to lose in the second round against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But, I mean, I didn't expect it to be a sweep. I picked Tampa to win in seven games. But uh, I think it kind of exposed Florida as a team that maybe needs to get more. And I don't like using this cliche because it does kind of sound like a boomer take. But, like, I think they need more hard-nosed players to get to the middle of the ice and to really cause traffic. You can't Maroon win just type. Maroon type. Like, I always bring back, bring up John, uh, John Anderson, Josh Anderson. From the Montreal Canadiens, what he did in the playoffs last year, yeah, playing on the playing on the left wing with some young kids like Suzuki and Caulfield, opening up the middle of the ice. Like I even think a guy, uh, a team like Toronto could use a Josh Anderson. So I think that's what we saw from Florida. And obviously, like you brought up, when you're up against uh, Andre Vasilevsky, it makes it that much tougher. Is all of a sudden Florida now in the in that conversation with a guy maybe like Barry Trotz? With Andrew Brunette, he was in, still on an interim tag, 
and they won the president's trophy. He did a great job in a, and I thought it was a pretty difficult situation with how Quenville was let go and all the noise that was around it, kept the team on the rails. Even after the trade deadline, they still kept humming along, but just couldn't get it done in the playoffs. And they're running up against a team that we're going to look back on in a decade and say is one of the best teams of all time. When you look at Tampa with, I mean, they did it without point, but with that, with Kucherov, one of the top five best players on the planet, with Stamkos, who has found the fountain of youth, with Hebben, who for my money is the defenseman in the NHL that controls the game the most. And then obviously we mentioned Vasilevsky. But are, uh, is Florida all of a sudden going, hey, we could maybe grab Barry Trotz and that can help us win playoff games? I don't think that they'll go there. Like, it's possible. Like, yeah. I mean, it would stand to reason. I just think that maybe they got exposed a bit on a team that relied too much on their offense. And I hate saying this, right, because I don't want to diminish skill and pure offense, but they kind of seem like a regular season team from the get-go, right? Yeah. Where it was just all offense all the time. They went in with a defense that, like, wasn't – I wouldn't say it was suspect, but, like – I think Mackenzie Weger kind of got exposed a bit. Was he made a couple like, of big egregious mistakes in in the playoffs. That's it. I, I think they kind of overrated what Ben Sherratt would bring to them. You know, the analytics were never his friend in Montreal this year. They didn't translate well over in Florida. And it stands to reason, like, if he's not playing next to a Shea Weber, how was he going to play? You have a guy like Radko Gudis and or Gustav Forsling playing a lot of top four minutes. You know, for my money, those are more third pairing level guys. So I think their defense, they kind of overrated a bit. Obviously, Sergei Bobrovsky, was he the main reason they lost? Not really, but as far as a $10 million goalie goes, he's certainly not worth that, not by any stretch. And then you just look at their forwards, and I do think they kind of miss like a, a physical presence who could maybe help get them to the middle of the ice. Like Sam Bennett kind of checks that box a bit, but when you're playing center, you can't really drive the net as hard, win board battles. I think it was just a bit too much skill, not enough defensive presence, not enough physical presence. And then, again, you run into an Andre Vasilevsky. But all this to say is that I don't really think it was a coaching thing. I think it was more that they were a team built for regular season success. And yeah. they kind of got exposed as they weren't really battle-tested for a playoff round, certainly not against the reigning cup champs. If Fridge pointed out, I think on 32 Thoughts, that Florida shopped Bobrovsky hard at the deadline and perhaps laying a lot of groundwork to trade him this offseason. But who the heck is going to take that? I mean, he, he, look, he's a highly skilled goaltender, but he's faltered in the playoffs. And never been good. And that cap hit at 10 mil over what, four more years? Who's going to take on that cap hit? I, I just don't see how he's a tradable player at this point, if, unless Florida's retaining half. And what's the point of that? Well, first you would have to identify a team that needs a goaltender, and then you'd have to identify a team that it's got, all, that it's got a cap space. Or you could always try and do like the bad contract for bad contract type of thing. But like, what team has a ten million dollar bad contract? Like, I mean, unless you ship him to Buffalo and send Jeff Skinner back the other way, could that be something that works? It's like, different though, because with a forward, you can bury the player in a in a way different way than you can bury a goaltender. There's only one crease you know exactly and jeff skinner did have a decent season this year i think he Fine. scored over 30 goals and mm -hmm. apparently uh the old coach there ralph kruger was really a detriment to him bearing him down the lineup so like i don't know i i think that there's maybe a chance that they could find someone to bite but like you said you're probably gonna have to retain at least a quarter of that salary if not half and then at that point are you gonna bribe in with five million upwards of five million dollars of dead cap space for four more years on a team that i believe barkov's contract is kicking in next year yep. i believe kuberdo's gonna need a new deal yep. sooner rather than later you have some uh guy like aaron ekblad i have to you know check in on his contract situation spencer knight would be around the corner although i think they have some years before we get to that yeah but you know this is a pardon me he'd be restricted for a bit but yeah Exactly. A bit of cost controlled, probably get a Carter Hart type of deal, like uh, off mm -hmm. of his entry level. 
But I mean, this was a team like Florida was in kind of like this situation where you had you had this really good team, but a lot of guys on good value contracts. So this was a year that you could add a Claude Giroux, you could add a Sam Reinhart, you could add a Brandon Montour, you could add a Sam Bennett, you could fit in all these guys like Duclair, Verhage, all these guys because you had Barkov making less than six million, you have Huberto making, I believe, less than six million dollars. You get Claude Giroux at half the price tag at 4.25 or 4.1, whatever it was. And now all of a sudden you're saying like, damn, we didn't even get to out of the second round. Hell, we didn't even win a game in the second round. Yeah. So, and that's the tough part is when you blow these opportunities, when you have all this cap space, like remember the Blackhawks in 2010, when you still had Taze on his entry level and Kane on his yeah. entry level, and you were able to have guys like Brower and Boland. And, and even uh, Keith and- wasn't making that much money then. It, you know, Seabrook wasn't making huge bucks yet either. Yeah. So, so they could feel that you're right. Sod, they could feel this team that was really complete. Um, before we get to the flyer stuff real quick, Edmonton's kind of blown me away a little bit here. Um, and Connor McDavid has just absolutely tilted the series. They could be going to the final, can't they? It's possible, right? Because you're going to have to look at the field, right? And they have Calgary on the ropes. And then on the other side, you have the the Colorado Avalanche probably. And that's going to be a tough test. Because yeah. I think the biggest thing that's happened in Calgary and Edmonton in that series is that the big Achilles heel and the one ace in the hole that we thought Calgary have yeah, has Jacob completely Marshall. shifted. Like Jacob Markstrom, like what going the on. hell is going on? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's and I think that's the effect of McDavid. He's got McDavid when he's on the ice takes you out of your structure, but even when he's not on the ice, he's affected them so much that when he is on the ice that the structure has abandoned the team because he's so dangerous right now. And, but could you imagine a conference final with Nate? Like you saw that goal, what McKinnon last night to put them up four or three, like that was fucking ridiculous. We've yeah. seen McDavid make these ridiculous end to end rush goals. And McKinnon's last night was every bit as good as that one. I mean, that was, I watched, I tweeted out, I just said, Jesus, like that is so insane. He was moving through the neutral zone, and it looked like there was, you know, five beer leaguers on the ice for the other team. He just was flying, and then the skill and the finish and the whole thing. Boy, McKinnon versus McDavid, it would be the McBattle (laughs) (laughs) of the the Western Conference. I mean, just unbelievable. Real quick, uh, let's get to the Flyers because there's some news here as well. And I don't know if I talked to you about it. I don't remember talking to Bill Meltzer about it on Flyers Daily. I, I'd come up on Flyers Daily with the dirty dozen question marks of the Flyers offseason. And to this point, as we sit here on the 26th of May, only two of those question marks have been answered. Two of 12. Now, some of them are going to take time, and I understand that. So the question marks were Ryan Ellis. They were... Coots coming back from back surgery, Wade Allison's inability to stay healthy, big game hunting for high-end talent, JVR in the final year of his deal, head coach, the draft lottery results, uh, TK Sanheim, Proveroff, are they trade bait, Morgan Frost, backup goalie, Mike Yo's future, and aggressive retool versus rebuild. The only two answers we have are Mike Yo's future, to some extent. He's not going to be the head coach. We don't have the head coach, so that's still it applicable. And then the other one we have is the draft lottery results, which had a hard date, but there's still a lot of questions to be answered. So let's talk about candidates. And by my estimation, the realistic candidates for the Flyers right now are Barry Trotz and probably number one on the list, I'm sure. John Tortorella, Rick Tockett, Jim Montgomery, Kirk Muller has now been added to that list. And I'll keep Paul Maurice on there, and I know, but I know you've reported that that's not likely. Are those yeah. the six? Is one of those six guys, Trotz, Torts, Tock, Montgomery, Muller, or Maurice, going to be one the next head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers? I would assume so. 
I mean, I know that they're doing a very thorough search. Quickly on Maurice, um, he got tied to Vegas yesterday by my colleague, uh, Dave Pagnotta. And I've always liked Paul Maurice, um, but I know he's a guy that doesn't really play with a lot of structure, (laughs) as we saw in Winnipeg over the last few years. And I asked uh, one of my sources about it, and I didn't get, like, an overwhelmingly positive response. I know he was on the initial long list, but uncertain if he would even get an interview. We know that they want a coach that would bring in uh, accountability and would bring in defensive structure. Accountability, I'm sure Paul Maurice would bring that, but defensive structure, that's not the thing that I think fits Paul Maurice. That's why I'm not confident he would be the guy. Kirk Muller, I'm sure, would be a good option, although he's been a head coach once before in Carolina, didn't do too great of a job, wouldn't be overly enthralled with him, and they want a guy with a proven track record. And yeah, that's the one fit that one part. Exactly. And like the proven track record thing for me, for Muller, it just doesn't fit. So I'm sure maybe they'll talk to him. He's not a guy that I really get the sense of. For me, it kind of comes down to Trotz, Tortorella, or Montgomery. And that's more speculation than anything. Obviously, we have the two confirmed in Trotz and Tortorella who have interviewed for the job. In regards to Trotz, the one thing, and this is more speculative than anything, I've had a few conversations with people, but like they've kind of just pushed me in this direction to speculate. Like We know Trotz wants to get into management eventually. Mm-hmm. Is that something that makes Fletcher steer away from them? Like, are you hiring a guy who could potentially be your replacement? Are you hiring a guy who potentially wants your job in the future? Yeah. As opposed to, let's say, and I'll just equate, compare it to the situation in Winnipeg. Chevy's been the GM there for how long now? A decade since they moved to Winnipeg. He holds the title of executive vice president as well, right under Mark Chipman. Could it eventually be like a backroom deal? Like, okay, you coach the team for two, three years. Then you slide up to GM. I move into a higher executive role. That's the one thing that makes me a bit trepidatious that Trotz will end up here. I look at John Tortorella and I say to myself, like, accountability. Got it. You have a guy here who loved him and excelled under him, Cam Atkinson. Defensive structure. He checks a lot of boxes. John Tortorella checks a lot of boxes. And for a team that doesn't have a big-time superstar, at least not yet, and is a pure all-offense guy, there's not a lot of guys on this team that I think would have to change their game to fit John Tortorella's system. Maybe Travis Konechny, but even at him, he had his best season under Elaine Vigneault, who wasn't exactly the most offensively loose guy in the world. And no, still scored 24 goals that year, too. Exactly. And he scored, what, 65 points? games, yeah. Yeah, 61 points in 66 games or whatever it was. Yeah. So I don't think there would be a lot. Of, like, I think Torts would love a lot of players on this well, team. How much would he love Sean Couturier? He obviously would love Cam Atkinson. He obviously would love Scott Lawton. Like, those are Torts kind of guys, right? Kevin Hayes would yeah. love him. Noah would. Cates would love him. I think he would love Joel Farabee. Maybe totally the guy, agree. yeah, mate. Like the one guy to me, and I feel bad that we always kind of bring him up here, but maybe Morgan Frost that'd be a bit of an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big time, Owen Tippett. Like, I'm not sure yet. Like, we don't really know. I think exactly. he would try and mold him, yeah, exactly. And that's the nice thing with Tip is that you have a lot of the raw skill yeah. in him is still there, but at the same time, he's still young enough, he's still green enough, he hasn't really been molded yet. Has even had like a first coach in the NHL. Like he hasn't been in the NHL enough. Yeah. So I think Torch checks a lot of boxes here. Then you look at Montgomery and he has a track record, but more in a different way. I think he did an all right job in Dallas. I think that he has the track record at the college level. And I know for, I have it on pretty good authority that the, the current Flyers management looks at the Blues for a model of success. The no true superstar, defensive yeah. structure, physical, depth across all three lines. And the Blues proving you can win a cup without a bona fide superstar game breaker like a McDavid McKinnon type. Yeah. Player. 
Well, you still need a good offensive player. Like Tarasenko was certainly that. You still need a very solid defense. They certainly had that with Bo Meester and Pietrangelo and Edmondson there at that time. But they still have those guys. They still have, well, he's been hurt, but Scandella. They still have Pareko. They have Justin Falk. I think the Flyers, if they get a healthy Ryan Ellis, big if. And if they bring in another defense, they do have a defense good enough to win a cup. So, if you bring in Montgomery, who's an assistant coach there, is currently on a run with them, that's a good way to try and remodel your team after Jim Montgomery. So to me, again, not entirely reporting it. The Flyers have kept this completely hush-hush, and I've had to go to untraditional sources to get whatever I'm talking about. But I would assume it's Trotz, Tortorella, or um, Montgomery at this stage. Yeah, to me, Trotz is number one, and I think it that's probably at best a coin flip. For, for the Flyers, I, I don't think that he just interviewed and wasted his time to try and drive up number. He's going to get number no matter what. I think there is some interest there. Um, and then I think the fallback plan is Torts. But people are saying, you know, oh, well, Torts is not the right guy. He's he's going to burn out quick. and But, but he doesn't burn out quick. That's exactly. not in his history. People have fallen into these narratives when it comes to John Tortorella that he's going to be a guy that's going to be two years here and done. That's not his modus operandi. And this notion, because he's really tough in the media and stuff, that players hate playing for him is total bullshit. Like I had some guy telling me, no, players hate playing for him. I I have talked to over a dozen players. And I will tell you, I had a text exchange with a guy who played for him in two different places the other night and knows him extremely well, extremely well, and said to me, Players love playing for him. He, A, cares about them as people, cares about their family. John Tortorella took a leave when his dog was dying. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that tells me, like, that may seem strange, but that tells me something, that these things matter to him. And all the bluster in the media and all the combativeness is, to me, all a way to make him the enemy to the media to therefore alleviate that from his players. And I know because I've heard it from guys that have played for him that they love the fact that he does that. And if you play this game with a team first mentality and in an honest way, you will have, you will love playing for him. If you're a guy like line who just wants to score. And then when I'm not scoring, I don't give a shit about anything else. You're not going to have a good experience. But if you do play it the right way, the people bring up Pierre-Luc Dubois and the fact that he got benched and shipped out of there. Did you see that shift that Pierre-Luc Dubois had when Tortorella sat his ass down? Like, if he would have allowed that player to go back on the ice, there would have been a mutiny in that locker room amongst the players, seeing what that guy did, the way he mailed that shift in. So, I I, look, he's not my first choice, Torts, because Trotz is. But this notion that he's going to burn out quick, six years in Columbus, seven in Tampa, and four, basically almost five in New York. It looks like six because he was there for a little while, way earlier in his career. But the guy doesn't burn. He burns hot, but he doesn't burn players out. And they love playing for him. Yeah, Vancouver was the outlier. That was the outlier. But that was him blowing up. Yeah. And some guy said to me on Twitter goes, oh, if he couldn't handle Vancouver, how's he going to handle Philly? I go, well, you don't know shit about the league because the media in Vancouver and the fan base in Vancouver makes the Flyers look like a walk in the park. Yeah. Like, look, I I grew up like I live in arguably the craziest market in Montreal. I live five hours down the highway from Toronto. I am very well versed in how the media operates in any Canadian city, maybe aside from Winnipeg and Ottawa, those are the two lower markets, but like the Canadian media are psychopaths. They're crazy. The fan bases are absolutely mental. And I think that torts, you know, coming away from the New York Rangers couldn't get them over the hump. And, you know, you're going into like a Vancouver situation that at that time you're still trying to rekindle some of that magic from 2011. The expectations are way high, but the actual roster is past its expiration date. It was a weird, bad situation. Look, Vancouver is still a weird, bad situation for the most part. 
Yep. So that was him imploding, but it has proven to be the outlier in an otherwise long list of examples where he lasts a long time. And to be honest, like, well, for one, I could tell you, and look, this is kind of, this isn't news. It's been well reported by now. Elliot Freeman brought up the name Bobby Clark yesterday, but I can tell you that in terms of like guys like Clark and Homer, Bill Barber, he's the guy they want. Yeah. They want, um, they want John Tortorella because the thing is, is this isn't going to be a skilled team. Even if you get a Johnny Goudreau who has proven that he could play for a more defensive minded coach like Daryl Sutter, it's not going to be a team that is high flying. You're not going to need a lot of players to change the way they play. Like you're not getting John Torrella to come in the, and coach the Pittsburgh Penguins from 2016. Yeah, You're not asking John Tortorella to come in and coach the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're getting John Tortorella to come in and coach a bunch of guys who on their own are probably second line players. You're coming in to, def- to coach a bunch of guys who the only way they're going to win is if they buy into a team first, probably good defensive structure mentality, opportune offense and accountability. Like how many times did we hear guys reference that they're too easy to play against? Got to play with more, you know what, hockey. They got to play more like of a team game. Like nobody's scared to play. I think the Flyers are viewed around the league as just kind of like weak kids. Mm-hmm. And can be pushed uh, around. Pardon me. And can be pushed around a little bit. They, they can be pushed around, and that's why, like, I know he's not the best player, but that's why I think it's almost imperative that you bring back a guy like Zach McEwen. Like, didn't Scott Lawton say that he's the first guy they've had like that since Wayne Simmons? Yeah. Like, and I think John Torrell, like you said, for a team that is so weak in a lot of ways and doesn't have that one true superstar anymore and maybe doesn't have a captain next year, he will be able to be the guy to be the front man, be the enemy and just let the players worry about what's on the ice. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think, I think he would inject a lot of accountability, uncompromising. And I know a lot of people, last thing, I know a lot of people are going, why does Bobby Clark have a say? Why does Paul Holmgren have a say? Why do Bill, why do these old guys that, are stuck in an old mindset, have a say. Look, they are advisors. They give their opinion, but they are not making the decision. They're saying, hey, this is what we think. But Chuck, you're making the decision. You're the guy with the hands on the on the, on the the steering wheel. <laughs> I got a prop, right? You're the one with the, you're making the decision. It's your butt on the line, not ours. We're, this is just what we think. And I don't know that I disagree with them because, you know, a lot of people go, well, you can't have a coach like that anymore. That's that hard on players. Bullshit. I am tired of players getting treated with kid gloves when they're making millions of dollars. There has got to be accountability. There has got to be repercussions for the way you play. And they'll go, well, AV tried that and he lost the locker room. Okay. Well, Torts, he may lose some guys. But you know what? If those guys that don't want to play the game honestly, if if they're going to have a problem with it, then get out. As my old radio partner Harry Mays once said, get out! (laughs) You know? Because I don't want those guys on my team. I'm not going to win shit with those guys anyway. I need guys that are willing to play team, everything for the team, and I need guys, damn it, that are going to do what it takes to win and play the game honestly. Because if I don't have that, you're never going to get that chalice. Because look at the teams that win it. They got – how many shots did Tampa Bay in game two block? Tampa Bay, there were guys going – off the ice, all over the place. And it wasn't Ross Colton. It was Kucherov selling out his body to block shots and do whatever it took to win. Yeah, and the, the thing about yeah. A.V. is, like, <laughs> you got to remember is when A.V. came in, who was still here? Who were still the leaders? Claude Giroux, Jake Voracek, Shane Goss's bear to an extent. There was, Simmons was gone. Yeah, Simmons was gone. Like, you still had an old guard that were 
And I want to blame those guys because they got the shit end of the stick with the way that Ron Hextall kind of iced the team. But they had been almost conditioned into like, well, the management doesn't give a shit. The coaches doesn't get, don't give a shit. So why should we give a shit? And I think we saw that in the bubble. Like yeah. Voracek played well. I would argue that aside from Hayes, he was their best forward in the bubble. But you could tell that he didn't really give a shit. Giroux didn't give a shit at times in the bubble. Shane Gossespierre certainly didn't give a shit. They're all gone now. And now if you bring in a coach that all those guys are gone, it's a completely new leadership group, maybe with the exception of Sean Katoria, but he's kind of like a bridge between Giroux and Voracek and like Konechny and Provov and all those guys. And you bring in a John Tortorella, now he has a fresh group of faces to work with. Like, for, and I do think that John Tortorella is probably a better coach than Alain Vigneault because I think Tortorella can work with a lot of different types of rosters. He can kind of grow with the roster like he did with Columbus, like he did with Tampa, like he did to an extent with the New York Rangers. Yeah. And as opposed to AV, who I think like you bring in a guy like AV when you have all the pieces to win. And I don't think Chuck Fletcher ever gave AV the pieces to win. Like AV is more like a Lavi to me. Like you bring in a Lavi when you have everything in place. You don't bring in a Lavi when, okay, yeah, we, we still need a defense. And okay. Yeah. We still need a three, three C like all that. And again, like I said, like John Twitter would have like a clean slate here. I don't think that AV really got a clean slate because he still had a group of players who had outlasted how many four coaches before him. All those guys were here for Laviolette. They were, with the exception of Gossespierre, they were here for Barubi. They were here for Hack, and they were here for Gordon. And now, Torts would be getting a team that really outlasted one guy. But even that one guy, if Torts wants him, would probably be back as an assistant coach. Yeah, and Mike, yeah. Um, and great stuff. Read Ant stuff at thefourthperiod.com, tfp.com, and also on Twitter at ademarco25 and on Brotherly Pod as well. We'll talk to you next week, brother. Thanks, man. Looking forward to it. There he is, Anthony DeMarco on Beck Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. It is Thursday. Playoffs are underway, and we have something we do to help you. It is called Tones Takes. And there he is. It's Tome. What's going on, brother? Hey, what's up, Jason? How you doing? Doing good, man. I'm just I've been having like a hard time getting my finger on these playoffs. So last night, I put in an exact score bet on the Bet Parks app of five four for St. Louis. Right? They win the game in overtime, five to four. I log onto my Bet Parks app today, and I'm ready to reap the rewards. Plus seven G's. It was. Right, plus seven thousand for that exact score. It was regular time, regular uh, overtime. Oh, oh man, <laughs> oh man, that's rough. Going to bed thinking you hit that, and then waking up. Uh, yeah, that's that's. Oh, I look at it, I go, why? Why is my account not just overflowing with cash? <laughs> oh man, I hit it in regular time, not overtime. Not uh. totally. Oh man, but the, those them beat the perils. But I still won my par legs. I had. Uh, I had St. Louis in the over in that game last night. And what a game it was. Uh, but let's get to the card here because uh, it's interesting right now. We're at, at a really important point in the second round series. And the home ice has been massive in the Canes Rangers series. And I am in total agreement with your play here. I think the first road win comes tonight. And it comes at plus money with the rags at plus 140. Yeah, I like the Rangers tonight. I've been waiting on a time to kind of pounce to, uh, you know, buck this trend a little bit. But Sterkin's dialed in right now. I mean, since, totally he got pulled in those, yeah, since he got pulled in those two games in Pittsburgh, he's 5-2, and two, 1.98 goals against, 0.939 save percentage. Uh, I know he was a better goalie at home than he was on the road, but it's playoffs. I don't. I don't think that matters. I'm going to take the value in the Rangers. They were. They've been in every game in the, in the series. The two in Carolina that they lost. They should have won game one. 
you know, so they've, they've been playing well. And with the Canes with Ranta, you know, the backup goalie thing, man, how many, how far can I take you? Like, I don't know yeah. if he, you know, he's starting to wear down a little bit. And I think you saw that in the past couple games. So I'm going to go with the value on the Rangers at plus 140. I mean, if you look at these playoffs, the teams that have the goalie advantage have gotten the job done. Mm-hmm. It's going to be crazy. They're going to start to, to separate see. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- except the problem is, is like, for play number two in Calgary, Markstrom was the absolute yeah. advantage over Mike Smith, but Markstrom just hasn't looked like Markstrom. He's got to find his game again. He's a Vesna finalist, but play number two, you do like Calgary here, minus a half in the first period. So you're looking for a quick start to this game. Yeah, minus a half, plus 150 in the first period. Uh, I kind of like Calgary to win this game, but I don't. I can't trust Markstrom right now, man, especially with the way McDavid is playing. Uh, yep. Markstrom struggled against the Oilers all year long, so it's not just this playoff series. He's had a hard time against them. Um, but I do think they're going to get some jump out of Calgary tonight, uh, and I'll just opt for the first period play and take a, take a shot at the plus 150. Yeah, I like that too because I, I think they jump them in the game. But again, I don't know. McDavid just gets too many shifts for me to go, okay, I'm going to ride yeah. Calgary here. Yeah. And Calgary was my pick to come out of the West. So yeah, mine too. Tough. Yeah, they um, did play well. I mean, they played well defensively uh, in um, you know, the last game. I mean, McDavid had two assists, but they were able to kind of bottle him up a little bit. It's a game they should have won. So I kind of I do like the way they played in that game. So yeah. Well, let's take it to play number three. And by the way, you went two and zero last week on uh, Stick to Hockey Live plus two seven five point two point seven five units in your year to date uh, plus twenty eight point eight units, which is frankly absurd. Um, but play number three, let's stay with that Calgary game and go with the over on one and a half points for Johnny Hockey for Gaudreau here, a plus 174, tremendous value. Yeah, uh, kid's going to lead the charge, I think, tonight. Uh, he was second in the league yep. in points to McDavid during the season, 115. Uh, he's had zero points the last two games in Edmonton. Uh, I think he had two in game one and three in game two, where I could have that mixed up. But he had multiple Incl- points. Including the, the OT series. winner. Right. So I, I, I like this value here tonight. I'm expecting a big game out of Johnny Hockey. Uh, this is his time. You know, it's his time to shine, just like it's been McDavid's time to shine, and he's he's pulled through. Now it's Johnny Hockey's turn to shine. Yeah, so. I agree. I, I, I like all three plays that you have. And, again, that first play with the Rangers at plus 140 tonight, I really like that. I just yeah, can't, I can't – you're probably with me on this, man. You want a Chesty Vazzy conference final. I know you were talking yeah. about but the McKinnon McDavid. I'm down, down for that too, but a Chesty Vazzy conference final, man. It may not be any goal scoring that series besides overtime. <laughs> yeah, here's what I'm down for. I'm uh, I'm down for the, the goalie porn conference final of Vasilevsky Shosturkin. Yep. And then I'm, I'm down for the McConference final, McKinnon yep. McDavid. <laughs> I'm with you, man. That would be awesome. I mean, that would be great. All about it. All about it. Unbelievable. And until somebody proves that, look, like Shesterkin's trying to claim the mantle as the top goaltender in the NHL. He's going to win the Vezina this year, deservedly so. But greatness is determined in sports, not in regular seasons. Greatness is determined when the lights are the absolute brightest and in the playoffs. And the lights are never brighter and more impactful than elimination games and playoffs. And the fact that Vasilevsky's got six, six shutouts in his last seven elimination games. And in the one that he doesn't, he gave up a whopping one goal is, I mean, this is, it's historic. Yeah, it's I mean, we sick. talked about it a little bit last week with that team. Just they're they're going to go down as one of the greatest teams ever. I mean, they could totally score agree. goals, but they don't have to score goals. They could beat you two to one. Yep. Like you guys were talking about earlier, the amount of shots that they block. Like that game too. I heard you and Anthony talk about it. Like every every five minutes, there was a Tampa Bay player going off the ice and blocking yep. a shot and coming right back. Like and that, it was, that's and it was star players. Me, that's, yeah, that's stammers blocking shots. Yep, yep. yep. That's yeah. what makes us the greatest sport in the world, man. Oh, it is so great. God damn, it's so good. All right, so the three plays, the three tones takes this week. Rangers at plus 140 on the road against the Canes, who are 6-0 in the playoffs at home. You got Calgary minus a half in the first period at plus 150, and then Gaudreau over one and a half points at plus 174. So a lot of plus money on the board tonight for tones takes 
Awesome stuff. Where can people see your stuff, Tone? At Tone's Takes on Twitter? Yep, and then on at Dimers.com and at OddShucker.com. There we go. We'll talk to you next week, man. Thanks, Jason. There he is. Tone and another edition of Tone's Takes here on Stick to Hockey Live. Oh, man. That was like an exhausting episode. Like, I'm so just loving these playoffs. Just loving it. The Mc the McConference final, McKinnon McDavid would be insane. The amount of skill on the ice. And then the vat I gotta get Kevin Woodley on next week if the Rangers advance. We're gonna have to talk to Woody about Shesterkin and Vasilevsky. Like Kevin's from Ingoal Magazine. He is the goalie guru for Sportsnet. You've heard him on 32 Thoughts. He's been on Stick to Hockey Live and Flyers Daily a bunch. He's the goalie, uh, just the goalie guru. And I'm going to have to get Woody on. I'll shoot him a message if if the Rangers get through because of Shesterkin and Vasilevsky. All right, but that's pretty much going to do it for episode 48 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. You just heard Tone's takes, all three of them. Again, the Rangers at plus 140. Gaudreau at one and a half points plus money. And also, what was the third one? Oh, I can't remember already. I'm a little slow today. Oh, the third one was uh, Calgary minus a half in the first period at plus money as well, plus 150. So get those in right on the Bet Parks app. Grab the Bet Parks app. It's the great casino and sportsbook app. It is now live. And take it from me, it is everything you want in a mobile casino and sportsbook. And it's right in your pocket, right in the palm of your hand. Easy to sign up, easy to use, fun to use, faster to win than ever before. And right now, all Bet Parks users use the promo code Jason750. Jason750, new and existing users. That'll get you a risk-free bet up to $750. Again, Jason750, a risk-free bet up to $750. Terms and conditions do apply. So make sure you do it right now. Grab the, Go to your app store on your Android, on your iPhone, whatever it is. Download the Bet Parks app and get in on the action because it's fantastic. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll be back next week with another great edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Everybody have a great Memorial Day holiday weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. We'll keep talking pucks in June right here. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Leave us a rating and review. We'll talk to you next time on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live.